It's like Tom Brady is the Kyle Ren of the NFL football. Nobody's going to remember anything we said about the NFC Championship game. They're just going to remember that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a generic sports podcast. Basically, two morons talking about things they generally don't know about in a format that they really didn't plan out. So I'm Carlos Alcazar, and here is my co-host, David Turnbull. Hey, how's that going, everybody? So today is a beautiful, freezing cold, but still sunny day in Canada. I see like the hearts of New Orleans Saints fans. Speaking of which, I happen to have a New Orleans Saints fan. Mr. Turnbull, tell us the feels. I don't have the psychiatrist's couch right now, but this is the best we can do. And I kind of wish you did have the psychiatrist's couch right now. Uh, the feels is still, you know, almost a week later. It's still painful for a lot of reasons. Uh, we're going to get into that play. Oh, we'll get into that play. As but, it shall be infamously known as the no-call. But before then, I thought I would give you some initial thoughts on the game. So first of all, I was really surprised with the game because it sort of went against type, right? You know, both games the Saints played in the playoffs were rematches of games they played in the regular season. First versus the Eagles and then versus the Rams. And both went completely differently to the way the regular season game went. So first thing I thought... You expect Todd Gurley and now this two-headed beast, Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson for the Rams to do actually quite well, and they didn't. So the Saints' run defense is legit, right? They basically took him out of the game, and it was interesting hearing some of the comments after. People were like, yeah, well, Todd Gurley, we know, sat out the whole third quarter. Some talk about maybe there's something wrong with him, like an injury. But, oh, C.J. Anderson was so good. Well, no. They had them to under, both under well under 100 yards. Right? The run defense was great. The thing that surprised me about the Rams was, other than the interception, which Todd Gurley should have caught that ball, Jared Goff was good. Like, really good. Now, part of that, I think, is the Saints' pass defense that is garbage. Right? But he, you know, he made some big-time throws, and he made the throws he needed to do to put his team in position to win the game. And, and so that surprised me. The other thing that surprised me was Drew Brees is not typically Drew Brees. Now, maybe it's just, you know, is it a lagging injury? I don't think he's been I don't think he's been Drew Brees for a couple of weeks. The thing is it's it's not like it's one game in isolation. This like put an exclamation point on it. We'll talk about it more when we talk about the specifics of the game itself. But all I was seeing was, okay, I know it's Drew Brees. Technically speaking, the the quarterback matchup is supposed to favor New Orleans. Like it's supposed to, hands down. Yeah, it's. Uh, but the thing is, I I don't. I'm not as high as Jared Goff's performance as you are, and I have Jared Goff rookie cards, which I would happily sell if he does very well and wins the Super Bowl. I'm just saying, financially, I'm incentivized. So now this podcast has become just how Carlos can sell his merchandise. Almost everything related to the to this football season is how I can make money. Is what I'm trying to get at. All right, fair enough. But the point is that I would love for Jared Goff to have lit up the whole the whole board. I think he played well. I think, to your point, he did make the throws he needed to make. I don't think he was spectacular. But I don't think any of the quarterbacks were really spectacular. I think they had bursts. I think the end result, when you look at the stats, it's like, yeah, they did great. But then you look at, like, there were ebbs and flows in the game where just things weren't really moving. The but Neither offense really got in rhythm. And we'll get into that when we talk about, like, as the game went on. We'll focus mainly on the NFC Championship just because we actually have a real-life New Orleans Saints fan. They do exist outside of New Orleans, apparently, allegedly. This isn't, like New, this isn't like New England where there's 87 million New England fans. Most of them created after 2001. But the thing is that when, we, when we're talking about the NFC Championship, I watched... It, it ended up becoming a heavyweight slugging match only because neither team had a knockout punch. But they had chances to throw knockout punches. And that's what made the whole thing weird. It just played out. And having the chance to rewatch it, the whole thing, I watched every snap. And as I watched it, I'm like, okay, there's an opportunity. You could punch that in. There's an opportunity. You could punch that in. They were, they were Both teams had a chance to put it away. And they had multiple chances to come back from it. The no call was a big thing. That's the exclamation point. The one advantage of doing this not immediately after is that then it gave almost a week to be able to read articles, Listen to people's takes. I don't want to be swayed by their take, but I do like listening to the angles they take on it. And everybody's focused so much on the call, though, that it's like, okay, you almost forgot about all this other stuff that happened just before and just after. Well, I think Even in the fourth quarter. Well, I think that's what happens when it's a game-changing call, right? That, you know, sometimes you play a game you don't deserve to win or you shouldn't win or whatever, but you end up doing 
because something goes your way, right? So if that call goes the Saints way, you know, is it possible that the Rams still win the game? Absolutely. Is it possible that the Saints just take some time off the clock and then miss the field goal? Sure, lots of things are possible. But if you're going by probabilities, the probability that the Saints win that game if they get that P.I. call goes way up. Yeah, I think I think the difference is, and this was going to be kind of fun. I'm going to I'm going to take the angle on this where it comes to where it comes to the no call. I'm not going to excuse it. It was a terrible call. There's unanimous agreement. It was a blown call. Everybody agrees. Both sides, all teams, everybody agrees. There, I'm not going to uh, condone the referees not throwing a flag when they probably could have. I'm not going to condone them ignoring you know obvious replays. I'm not going to condone the NFL head office not acting when they had the opportunity. It was obvious to everybody. But what I will do is uh, I will partially absolve the officials only because I think that play took the, the Saints' probability of winning from 99% to 85%. Like, they still had every opportunity to win that game. So l- let's get into it real quick. The, the reason I'm going to say that the, the Saints had every opportunity to win is right off the top in the first quarter, three possessions where they could have scored touchdowns. And they settled for field goals twice. So they were in, you know, including one in the red zone where they where you had the drop in the end zone. So that's this guy right here. And that was with about two minute, ten minutes left. The first, the beginning of the game, one of the first things I observed is the beginning of the game, New Orleans couldn't have drawn it up better. They ate up almost five minutes of the clock. A great drive right off the top. You gotta get seven. Well, especially when you're you're in the position that you're in. You're in the red zone. Yeah. Right? And you have a play where the ball's in his hands. Now, I believe, if you want to just roll the play, I believe it's Dan Arnold that is the is the one. So he's a backup tight end. Right? So one of the things is that Benjamin Watson... Yeah, it is Dan Arnold. So Benjamin Watson, who's their main tight end, didn't play in this game. He was injured. Appendicitis. And so they're playing with some of the backups, but... You know, Saints have been one of those teams that have really lived well with the next man up. You know, when they've had people go down and, and you know, they have, because Drew Brees is so good, they have all these undrafted receivers or all these receivers who just make look fantastic because their quarterback's so good. In this case, is it a hard catch? Yeah, absolutely it is, right? But you're in a position in the end zone where you have a space. You have a ball in your hands like that where you can actually bring the ball down you got to make that catch. I agree, but I think that play is indicative of another theme that I saw throughout this game. I don't think Drew Brees was sharp at all. I think he made a lot of throws where accuracy is his, is his forte. That's his big thing. Absolutely. The huge, you know, the huge completion throw. He should have made the catch. It wasn't a great throw. It wasn't like it made it easy for him. No. He, he didn't lead him into the ball. The guy still had to reach for the ball. Now, if he makes the play, obviously different conversation. But the point is... Coming out of the first quarter, they're up 13 to nothing. There is no reason, especially after they got a turnover and had the ball again, thanks to the Rams giving it up, they could have been up 21 nothing in the first quarter. Absolutely. And that's and considering where we ended up in the game, 21 nothing in the first quarter, how do you like your chances? Oh, for sure. You feel fantastic. You, you Like, okay, Rams can still come back, but we're going to make it work now. Now you got to come back from three scores down. So that's huge. The other one that really stands out to me, so let's... Obviously, the rest of the game continues. The Rams slowly chip away at that lead, and they slowly start to come back. Um, one of the other things that struck me, I just want to make sure I get the right spot here, is right at the end of the second quarter, right now the Saints are up 13-3. to So going into the third quarter, the Saints are, are still doing pretty well, but they, they don't score again. Like, they score 13 points in the first quarter, and it just kind of stalls for a while. Yeah. And nothing really happens until the second half. Well, but, it's like mirroring the Philadelphia game, really, right? Yeah. Where the Philadelphia was up 14 nothing, and they never scored again. And I mean, the Saints obviously did score again in this game, but when you have such a chunk of time where you don't score, even if the other team isn't scoring, but in this case the Rams were, you're... You know, you're giving them hope. You're giving them back into this. That momentum thing, I think, played a role as well. Especially considering how significant the crowd noise was. And I know we have another point on the crowd noise we're going to come back to later. Yep. But considering how much that affected the game early on, the Saints weren't able to capitalize on that. And that ultimately did affect the outcome as well. 
No, that's all fair. But the the part that gets interesting for me, where it becomes kind of a thing, and I'm going to move ahead here. So we have the benefit on the... Uh, you're listening to the audio, but we have the benefit of being able to pull up the video here. The most interesting thing to me, obviously, the rest of the game kind of goes back and forth. The Rams slowly go. So as you head into the fourth quarter, the Saints are up 20-17. They're still ahead in the game. They're still under control. They've still got it. Where I kind of take the spot where I want to look at it is right about from 12.35. So 12.35 left. So basically, I won't read every aspect of it, but I'll give you kind of a quick recount. The Saints get a five-yard penalty, which gives more room for the kick. They fair catch it inside the 40. They're inside of Rams territory. So right now, they're up by three. They're inside of Rams territory. Almost automatically, basically, you get a first down, and you're kicking a field goal to go up by six. With 12 minutes left. That's that's good. You 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 you're you're in good you're in position A. If you could spell it out and you can choose, this is not a bad spot to be in. So, personal foul on the on the Rams. Sorry, they were inside their own 40. The personal foul on the Rams, 15 yards puts them inside LA's 46. So that's basically how it plays out. So now they're inside Rams territory. Again, first down and you're pretty much kicking a field goal. Great. You get a holding call, 10 yards. Now you're first and 20. You incomplete pass, not even close on the throw. Then you hand off on second and 20. I don't know why. Because apparently you can get 20 yards on a run play. I, th- this is where I kind of question Sean Payne's play call in a bunch of these situations. But you hand off on second and 20, so now you're third and 17. So your pass is nearly intercepted on a bad throw, another bad throw by Breeze, and then you have to punt it. So almost an automatic field goal to go up by six, and you're punting it away. Eight points in the first quarter. That was a free three points there in the fourth quarter. So now, at the remember, at the end of regulation, we're tied. So bad call or not, it's like you could have already been up by six. True. But, I mean, if you're going to go by that argument, as right, that oh, they left a lot of points on the board, which they did. Eleven, potentially. Uh, the Rams also left some points on the board, too. They did. Right? But- so when you're looking at that aspect, you know, if you look at what's not scored, right, well, the Ram, you know, Rams un- very untypically didn't go for it when they had fourth and goal inside the one. No, I agree. But where the the Rams, I think it's lack of aggression where they went away from their character. When I'm looking at the Saints, I'm looking at Drew Brees making bad throws that he doesn't normally make. And I'm looking at Sean Payton making play calls. Do you run on on first, uh, do you run on second and 20? Well, you know (laughs) what? The the play calling, and and this is one of the things my brother... This is 12 minutes. You can't eat up 12 minutes (laughs) from second and 20. Well, for sure. But my, my brother... Is a huge Saints fan as well, and I actually, I watched the game with him, and he was all in the Sean Payton needs to be fired after this game. I'm not on that category, but I asked him later in the week when I saw him after a couple of days to kind of you know let it settle and whatnot. I said, "Do you still think Sean Payton should be fired?" He goes, "Absolutely." And I, I said, "I don't agree with that, but this game seemed to be called uncharacteristically. It wasn't a typical Sean Payton game. It felt like the creativity in the play calling." Didn't feel like it was there. So do you think that both, do you game. think that the two coaches who are known for offensive innovation were trying to over were trying to outsmart each other by going outside of type? Could be, but I think in, if that is the case, then they both did themselves a disservice. Yeah, because I think they, I what I get a sense from in the way that game played out is that they're trying to outsmart each other. The problem is you're outsmarting each other. My so he expects me to do this, so I'm going to do this. So then what he doesn't expect me to do is to play conventionally. He doesn't, they don't expect me to coach like Andy Reid, which, which the problem is I'm not Andy Reid, so it's not my style. So, oh, that'll fool him, but the other guy's thinking the exact same thing, so you both end up playing really generically and bizarre. So this is the one I'm talking about right here. I've queued it up. All right. So this is the first and 20. Look at this throw. Okay. So this is a Drew Brees throw here on first and 20. Again, fourth quarter, about just uh, under 12 minutes. That's not a good throw. No. Like, at least give the guy a chance. He's got almost no shot of catching that ball. If anything, you got to throw it a little shorter so he can come back to it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Drew Brees' accuracy is his hallmark. And he's got a little bit of pressure, but look, he's got a pocket. He's throwing. Oh, and there's also like, a guy... that's no good. There's also a guy open in the middle, too. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, they're, they're... If you make the right decision there, you're not second and 20. But then you follow up, you follow up first and 20 that didn't... You know, it was a bad throw. It happens. But you follow first and 20 with this, and then you do a run play that goes almost nowhere. 
So it's not like you're going to eat 11 minutes and 46 seconds a clock that way. No, not at you, this you, point. You still want to get a first down. And honestly, you, you genuinely, you want to get you want to try to get the first down so that you can get that field goal and then, all right, Rams come the other way. It's, uh, it's easier if you do L.A.'s job for them. Probably McVeigh is sitting there going like, um, okay, if you want to run on second and 20, I'll take the ball back. Thanks. Pretty much. Appreciate it. Thanks, right? bro. And now you're in a third and long, which, I mean, Drew Reese has made many of these throws before. Now, this one here, uh, I also made a note on this third down pass. Look at this. So this is 11.08 left. This throw. Look at this. That could have been intercepted very easily. Absolutely. It was not a good throw either. That's two out of three bad throws. And in the fourth quarter, there were a lot of bad throws. As I said, Drew Brees was not typical Drew Brees in this game. And as you had pointed out already... This is open. He's got he he, oh. he 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 has a lane to make the throw. Yeah, he's just got to lead the receiver a little more, and yeah. then it's a completion. And that was and a Roby Coleman, down. and I think that was Roby Coleman too. Let's not let's not <laughs> let's not mention him. But we're name, going please. to mention. But we're going to mention him. We must. We are required to mention him. So much anger there. <laughs> that this is what the people want, Turnbull. The people want. But but that's the thing. Like like you, it's hard to argue. Like okay. It's hard to argue the referees screwed you over. Did the referees make you miss throws like that when you have opportunities? No, for sure. I mean, I'm, if you and this want, is in the fourth quarter. So if this you want to like say the, the Saints had opportunities to win the game and they missed them, I, I'm not going to argue with you on that point. But like I said, I think in a game when you when there's something so blatantly obvious that leads to, or should lead to a much higher percentage of you winning the game, almost a hundred percent, as you said. You know, you can't ignore that. I'm, I'm not, I don't intend to ignore it. My, my thought process is always, I don't like blaming the officials only because the only time I'm okay with blaming the officials is if the exact same play happens. It's fourth down and the Saints are down. If the Saints are down and it's fourth down and that missed call leads to a change of possession where the Rams can run out the clock, okay, the referee screwed you over and cost you the game. But my whole thing is watching it and having the chance to look at it again and go, Watching this game, the only thing the referees did was they took away one potential avenue of victory. They didn't take away victory. They took away one scenario where you could win. You could, sti- you could still have done a better play call on that. You still could have made some better throws. You still could have scored the additional points. And, by the way, the, the whole concept of the no call is that leads to a first down. The Saints can then run down the clock. Well, let me throw a potential alternative scenario at you. Let's say they call it. First down. So now we know. All right, you're going to run down the clock and kick the field goal. Cool. What if Sean Payne decides to throw the same way he did on the previous one, throws it twice, doesn't run down the clock, they still kick the field goal, they get the play call, the, Ram, they, the Rams still don't have to call timeout, and they get the ball back with a minute 11. Which is very theoretically <laughs> possible. Or I Because mean, he basically did that the first time. Or you could have a scenario where they do run the ball and the Rams let them score. Yeah. Right, you have one of those where they just say, okay, they're going to score, so we're just going to let it happen so we have more time on the clock. I've seen that happen before. But that was, that's exactly it. The whole thing is like, okay, I get the idea, but, like, guys, I don't, I don't understand what the concept is here. So, one second, I'm going to pull this up here. I want to go 503. Okay, so, this is the driving question here. So, this is the actual, not before the, not the actual throw. So, they're okay. going to get the ball. This is after the Rams have tied it up. This is after the Rams have tied it up. At 20. So now this is first down, 4 minutes and 57 seconds. So they throw the ball, and I think the play we're looking for is we've got a 43-yard. Let me see here. Oh, the Ted, the pass. The completion, to, the completion to Ted Ginn. So 207. Here we go. Which I feel was kind of lucky. It was. It, this is my point in the fourth quarter. Like this throw, the, the Ted Ginn throw, the big play that set everything up, 43 yards. So he launches it up in the air. It's a jump ball. It wasn't a good throw either. No, but I think, I T- mean... Tegan made the right play. He did a great play. But it wasn't like it was, oh, yeah, it was a pinpoint accurate. He dropped it in the bucket. No, he didn't. He threw it up, and Tegan went to go get it. That's good. Yeah, and I think, I think Joyner here makes a bad path to the ball. Totally. Right? Because like, that easily could have been tipped or could have been intercepted as well. Now, at this point, they make this catch. You're watching it with your family. You, you, I think you assume the, the, the Saints have got this now. I don't know if I ever assumed that the Saints have got it because, you know, I, I get, we get so nervous. The nerves are so up in a game like this that 
that, you know, until, until you know 100% they've got it. Am I liking my chances right now? Absolutely, I'm liking my chances right did, now. Did, did, la- right. did last year losing the way you guys did in Minnesota kind of uh, hamper your thought process on that? Like, how, what horrible thing, what horrible fate well, can befall us? No, but I, I think the thing is, since the 2009 Super Bowl, uh, you know, and even in that season, they got outplayed in the NFC Championship game by Minnesota. Now, this is a minute 58, fourth quarter. So right now, you got the first down. This is the first one. This is supposed to be a quote-unquote high percentage. This is what people argue. It's a high percentage pass. Okay, it is, but it's a bad throw. Like, you threw it at his shoelaces. There's no way. And what I'll do is if I put up a, a version of the audio, I'll put it up on YouTube as well with some kind of a static image. I'll probably take a couple of screen grabs. I All can right. put it in there for reference. But, It'll be easier to see. But absolutely, in that play, you know, you save the Rams from having to call a timeout. Yeah. Now, I know I've actually, the NFL's come out with the audio. You know, NFL Films has put out the, the audio, the people who were mic'd up from this game. Yep. And and at, during the two-minute warning, Breeze and Peyton had a conversation about how they really wanted to go for the touchdown. They didn't want to just run it and get a field goal. I understand goal. it, but if you want to do that, you got to make a better throw than that. You, you can't make it impossible for the guy to catch the ball except by catching it off his shoelaces. Well, no. Because he also can't advance the ball. You don't give him a chance to get yards after catch. No, but I think, I honestly feel, as a, as a point of agreement, Drew Brees did not nearly have a good enough game. Right? I mean, did he, did he play well enough that they could have won? Yes. Did he play typical Drew Brees game? No. There's a noticeable tailing off by Drew Brees in the second half of the season. The question is going to become going forward, though, is that a trend? Because if they can't adjust, now they tried to get Des Bryant to give him another weapon. Well, and that's another point I had, I th- right, is that comes out of this game, and I've read a couple articles about this since in terms of talking about what are the big needs of the team. I think, really, I think the Saints have two, apart from re-signing Will Lutz, who's their kicker, who's a free agent, and I think they really need to re-sign him because he's great. But first, they need a secondary receiver. Mike Thomas is great, but Mike Thomas got totally taken out of this game. Right? I think he had four catches for 36 yards, something like that. And the second thing is, I feel they need just one, one more above average secondary person, right? So either another cornerback or safety who's above average, right? Martian Lattimore is amazing, but he doesn't have a lot of help out there. I mean, you know. I think you're describing though almost every team. That was actually helmet to helmet. Oh, totally. A little scrape by uh, on the Camaro run after the first down yeah, play, which I did, which I never noticed until right now. Well, that, that's the beauty of being able to watch it on the replay. But, I mean, that's that that what we just saw is totally something that you can see missing. Like as you said before, you don't want to bash officials. I don't like bashing officials either because I am an official, right? I officiate three different sports, and you know I don't I don't like that. You know, when I coach, I also coach uh, soccer. I, I try not to berate the referee. My philosophy is always, though, if you ever want to worry about the referee, don't put yourself in a position. If you're up by 25, no one cares. Like, it, like it doesn't matter. So this is here. So this here is the big play. There's your. There's the the no call. Yeah. So Roby Coleman goes in, hits, hits. Uh, who was the same player? Uh, um, we'll get to another. It replay. was Tommy Lee Lewis. Okay. There you go. Okay. So hold on. Okay. So two things here. So you got helmet to helmet and pass interference. You can make either call. The collision is totally obvious. No problem. Easy. And this is the perfect camera angle because it's very obvious. However, one more point that I would make. That there was nowhere near online. And here's the thing about the, the Roby Coleman thing. He got away with one. You know, he got, he got the heist of the century on this one, not getting called on it. Well, hold on. Can I, can, I, can I get on my, my one rant? He didn't totally get away with it. Now you might be wondering, well, of course he did. The Rams won the game. No, no. He got fined for that. I understand. The NFL mm-hmm. fined him for well, that. Well, of course. But the NFL needed to save face. The NFL like needed to do something. They, they needed to acknowledge that, that it occurred. <laughs> they needed to acknowledge that it was an illegal hit. Um, and that's fine. That's fair. I, I think he'll pay it. I don't think he'll mind. Uh, but the thing is, and this is where this is where Roby Coleman did himself a disservice. The reality is, that was another offline throw. It wasn't really a good throw in the position it was supposed to be in. The reality is, if Roby Coleman had turned around, that was an interception. True. A very easy interception. Yes, I agree with that. It, it was. It would have hit him right, basically right up, right at the top of the numbers. Just turn around, catch it. And guess what? You can run the other way. I don't see anybody over here. I don't see any Saints players. He could probably just go and take it in for a touchdown. Although the other interesting thing about this is the still that you have up is you can see the referee. Yeah. Oh, and no, for he's sure. totally not looking. Now he's. Now, granted, it's not his call because it's not his area of the field, but he one of the things he kept saying was, I never saw the play. 
Well, he's looking at a different area of the field right now. So there's ev actual video evidence of him, you know. So that's but the there were two officials yeah. in position to see that play and make a call. Yeah, but the, the uh, that's the beauty of the still image. It's the beauty of video. You can go back and look at it and go. But it's right here, plain as day. Yes, missed call. Huge. Now, but, but in this situation, what ended up happening? You kick the field goal. You tie the game. You no, go to over. They, well, they Sorry, you, go, you kick the field goal. You go ahead. Yeah, you're yeah. up by three now. Now, do you leave time for the Rams to come back and get it? Yes. Now, one thing, though, that I think Sean Payton also deserves criticism for. Yes, this was a hideous play. Of course he's furious. I totally get it. But at a certain point, once it's clear the officials aren't going to give you satisfaction, I think he's still arguing with the official into overtime. Like, he's still yelling at the official. I'm like, dude, how about pay attention to your game? You can still win this game. And you win the coin toss. So you've got the ball. So guess what? Do what, do what the, um, you know... Do what the Patriots did. Do what the Patriots did. The Patriots also thought they probably won the game, but they knew that the Chiefs could had the offense to be able to go. The Chiefs tied it late to send it to overtime. So what the Patriots do, all right, fuck this. I'm going to go take it to the end zone, and, I'm gonna, and we're going to score, and we're going to win. And that's exactly what they did, and they finished it off. And that's... As much as, I, as much as I don't really like Tom Brady, you have to give it to him. As far as a killer instinct is concerned, that is the difference between Tom Brady and Drew Brees. It's not, it's not the... I think Drew Brees is actually more talented than Tom Brady. I think there's 100 guys that are probably more talented than Tom well, Brady. Well, that's another... You and your feelings on Tom Brady is another podcast that's, on its own. Overrated. He's Tom Average. It's like, whatever. He's not Tom Terrific. He's Tom Average. I'm not getting into that yeah, right now. It's like, but the point is... The difference is the killer instinct. So right now, what would have happened is Bill Belichick would have been furious, and then he would have been like, all right, fine. We're going to beat you in overtime. And then shift, mind shift focus, and he goes and yells at the players and goes, do your job. That's basically all he would do is just yell at them, do your job. And then they would know, all right, got to do our thing. Because you still can stop the Rams in regulation, and you can beat them in overtime. And then you go and uh, go full Favre in overtime. Which is... Uh, which How about you explain to our listening <laughs> audience what going full farm is? <laughs> so as a Packer fan, it, one of the great joys of my, of my existence as a fan is that I get to watch... Bre is, that I ha is that I got to become a fan while watching Brett Favre. The advantage of watching Brett Favre, exciting. You can, always, you can always come back. The possibility is always there. He can always make a ridiculous throw that he'll throw into traffic that somehow works out. But it also means that you have the distinction of no one has ever thrown more interceptions in the history of the NFL than Brett Favre. So always, there's always the opportunity for the most inopportune of all interceptions. And going full Favre, in this case, is throwing an interception in the NFC Championship game, which Brett Favre did twice. I'm still bitter over 2007. That and still hurts my feelings. Yeah, so for the record, people, Carlos is not talking about two interceptions in one game. He's talking about two different NFC Championship games where Brett Favre threw a costly interception. And it still hurts my feelings. It's been, you know, 11 years, 12 years. It still hurts my feelings. Mind you, that still doesn't hurt my feelings as much as the 2014 NFC Championship, which is a point I'll make at the end of this one, is that I've thought about it the other day. I actually have that on here as well. I haven't rewatched it because I already know that my blood would boil. It's been four years. I'm not over it. I'm still bitter. I'll be bitter forever. I hate Seattle. Screw them. This doesn't even have anything to do with this game. Screw them. Anyway. Um, so it's just so you know, uh, you know, if, if you feel in the long run that, that the no call, uh, leaves you with a sense of bitter, just be aware it's perfectly natural. <laughs> well, I, and I think it will. <laughs> yeah. I think it will. So the thing though, is that I think what makes it worse though, to the point is, um, that in reality, the overtime, if I, oh, and the other thing, uh, the other thing here that I enjoyed is that they did replay one of the interceptions of Favre and I'm like, that's foreboding. I do enjoy the I do enjoy the literary foreshadowing of uh, of the broadcast. Unfortunately, this up. time it was the other way around. Yeah. So you win. So you win the coin toss. Great. You got the ball. Awesome. In decent field position too. There was exactly. A decent it's, return. Well, this is the thing. Like the opportunities were there. the The interception, though, I believe it's at this spot. Let me just make sure I got this. Fourteen oh three. So I put all uh, little time stamps in my notes just to make my life easier. So let's do that. Right here. Okay. So I'm going to queue it up. So we're in overtime. 14.03, give or take approximately. The Saints drop back. Breeze drops back. And this is where he does get, you know, he's got a guy in his face. Understandably. But he releases the ball. He has no business releasing. But the thing about the interception is the guy's falling down. It was pure luck. 
Not only did it go exactly where it needed, like if it goes two feet to the left, he's not catching it. Two feet to the right, he's not catching it. If it's a little bit high, he's not catching it. It literally drops into his hands perfectly. That's when you know kind of the football gods have it in for you. Because there's no reason that Paul should have dropped. When 43 falls down, it, it's perfect. Yeah. He, he couldn't have he thrown it and dropped it into his he hands. Do, he perfectly. doesn't catch that ball if he doesn't fall down. Exactly. Like if he's standing up, there's no way he's catching it. That's just, that's just when you know the football gods have it in for you. That's when you're done. So the thing is, at that stage, obviously, then it's academic. Then it's just uh, then it's sudden death for score wins. Well, it should be academic, but I don't think there's anything academic about a 57-yard field goal. No, that's the thing. He still has to make it. The other reason, though, I was saying the no-call thing, a lot of people take it for granted and just assume. But like, I go, I totally get it. But what if you do everything? You do it right. Let's say you play it out exactly the way you want to play it out. You get the first down. You run the clock down to almost nothing. Lutz, Lutz is solid. He's making kicks. No problem. But now it's a different scenario. If the kick he made to go ahead was with almost a minute 40, give or take. And, you know, the Rams have timeouts. He knows that his defense is going to have to get on the field and do some work. It is pressure. It's a go-ahead. But you are tied. It is a go-ahead. Well, what if you're in the dying seconds? Now, this is the last play of regulation. You can just straight up win this game. Mm-hmm. We've already seen this uh, right now with kickers. I think a lot of people just assume with kickers. Well, guess what? Extra points have been missed this year. Right now, kicks are basically what three-foot putts are in golf against, you know, amateur opponents. You know what? I've seen these missed. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen uh, you know, I've seen, you hit a, I've seen you hit the goalpost and the crossbar and go out at Chicago. Yep. It, it's not automatic, you assume, but it's, it's not automatic. The 57-yard field goal wasn't automatic. The field goal in the dying seconds, potentially, was not automatic. So what happens if you get that play and then Lutz clunks it? And then you still go to overtime and the rest of it plays out the same. Yeah, well, now it's not the referee's fault. <laughs> now, Absolutely. Now you're back to Sean. But here's the question. If that plays out and we don't have the referees to blame, what then happens with Drew Brees and Sean Payton's performance in that game? We have to scrutinize it a lot more closely than we ended up having to do so. You know, but if the kicker, if the kicker just dinks it and, and doesn't go in, I think more people uh, are talking about his miss, at least on a, on a national scale. I think... Writers in New Orleans are gonna maybe talk about the the missed calls and the misplay. Like when I say missed calls, I mean missed calls uh, like Sean Payton misplay calling or Drew Brees' performance. Sure, but right, it's it's about. I mean, you're right. You make a good point about the narrative and what the narrative is. But we, we don't live in a what if. We yeah, live but in, but the thing is, what but, happened? But the thing is, the no call became a what if because uh, because when the, when they're making the argument, everybody assumes that you run the clock down to nothing, you make the kick, and you win. You go to the Super Bowl. I'm saying it's not automatic. I'm not conceding it. It's like that three-foot putt. I'm not going to concede it. I've seen it missed too many times. I, I'm, I'm going to make you kick it. Because then at that point, it's like, okay, if you make it, you make it. We assume they're going to make it, but we, it'll, be the, it'll be the what if. We always will assume. We, yep. we, we, we suspect he would have made it, but we'll never know for sure. So that was the NFC Championship. We wanted to talk about that mostly because, frankly, we had more feels in it. I'm an NFC. I'm an NFC fan. You're an NFC fan, and to be honest, the AFC Championship was mostly just we don't want the Patriots to win because we're tired of them. Fact. So, like, the only thing that needs to be said about it is that Andy Reid needs to really consider maybe letting somebody else focus in on um, controlling t- clock management. He needs to hire a coordinator for clock management, basically, just somebody whose only job he can he can run the offense. His only job, the guy's job, should be to like, figure out when to call timeouts. When to, when, to, when to set it up. It's like, that should be their only job. I still advocate for the relief coach. I think he should have been able to go to the bullpen and call Tom Coughlin, who already knows how to deal with this. He goes, I got this. And Mahomes is way better than Eli Manning. So, so, I, so I can work with this. The, yeah. There's yeah. no good reason. You're not going to hear an argument from me. Yeah. So that's the AFC Championship. There is one more thing I wanted to address. So that covers the football. So one, so the, can, I just, can I just say one more go thing? Go ahead. Because... I know you've seen this, and, and the video's out there, the, the Madden replay. Now, I know they didn't have the score the same, but they ran the play where some... So they're playing, you know, Madden on either probably PS4 or Xbox. I don't know which one. And they have the same lineup out on the field. They run the same play the Saints did. And the guy who is playing it is controlling uh, Roby Coleman and just runs over and, obli- like, roughly around the same time as the ball was in the air obliterates Tommy Lee Lewis immediately flag right 
Yeah. I just, that, to me, it just adds a little insult to injury. That's all. And I just, I feel it's one of those things that, it, especially if you're a Saints fan or, you know, you enjoy, like, quirky little things, search out the video because I don't know why. It, for me, it was, it was somewhat cathartic okay. watch, watching that play. When, when, when you're like, you know, like, in another world, another universe, this play totally got called as it should have. That's all I want to say. That, I'll leave it at that. Listen, I'm not. I, I'm going at some point when we got a chance. I'm going to rehash the 2014 NFC Championship, and you want to talk about replaying things in your head. 19 to three. I think it was 19 to three was the score with like three minutes left in the fourth quarter, and the Packers lost. Or it might have been 12 points, but it, like regardless, it was like no. There's no possible way. There's almost mathematically no way you can lose, and they still did. I'm not saying I'm bitter, but I'm saying I'm bitter, so bitter. Um, so your final point you wanted to talk about. So the, the final point about that is uh, uh, we're not going to watch the Super Bowl. I think, uh, I think to be honest. Uh, now, I, I want to see. For different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to. I'll link. I'll link that article from the New Orleans thing where they make the pitch for New Orleans fans not to watch the Super Bowl. I'd like to see if. Uh, like, I know you won't because, you know, once once you've got your sports bitterness built up, like you've a bad, you know. The Montreal Canadiens are dead to you when they basically got rid of P.K. Subban. So, you know, you abandon your you abandon one of your teams. Um, but the thing, so it would be easy for you to skip a game. But, the th- but for me, it's like I'm just tired of seeing Tom Brady. The real problem I have with the Super Bowl is not that I can't watch it. It's that I don't care about the Rams. I don't have a problem with the Rams. If they win, fine, great, awesome. But I don't care about the Rams. The Rams winning gives me no satisfaction. What about... Your satisfaction if the Jared Goff rookie card goes up in value. That that's but that's that's basically the financial thing. But it's going to be offset because I'm going to try to jinx the Patriots. I'm the Jared Goff rookie card going up might may land me a couple hundred dollars. I'm probably going to bet a couple of hundred dollars on the Patriots to screw them over if I can. I'm going to jinx them. If oh, the gambling gods are against me, I'm going to buy an L.A. Rams victory. And frankly, they should have me in the parade. I'm going to do what I can to put the hex on New England. Fair I enough. do this for the people. Fair enough. And and I won't be watching the game, obviously because of the Saints thing, but also because there are no winners here. Nobody wants to see the Patriots win a Super Bowl. Right? We've already seen enough of them. We don't we want we want to see somebody else from the AFC do something. It's not even Please, the, AFC. It's please. It, and I, I I mean, I don't want to see the Rams win it. O- not only because of what happened in the NFC Championship game, but also because I detest their owner because he's also the owner of Arsenal Football Club in London, England. But that's a story for another podcast. Yeah, that's the soccer. That's the, the poor people's sport. We will discuss that at, a, at another time. But the, but the thing is that I, I think what it really comes down to, there would be a, this would be a different conversation if Belichick had gotten his way and he had been able to boot out Brady and put in Garoppolo. Because then at least it would be something new. There would be a new element. But it's Brady and Belichick again. I don't have a problem with Belichick. He's evil, you know. He's you know he's the he's the Darth, he's the emperor. But then I'm sick of Darth Vader. I want Darth Vader gone. I need a new version. I need I need Darth Vader two point You want a Kylo Ren? Whatever. In fairness, I argue we got Kylo Ren first. Darth Vader is at least kind of sweet. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Kylo Ren's kind of a whiny. Is a kind of. A, let's just say Kylo Ren would be the kind of guy to date a supermodel and be so insecure to create a Tom versus Time Facebook thing, Tom Average, and he would be the kind of dude to wear Uggs. He is the Kylo Ren of football. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that's yes. all I'm saying. Like Tom Brady, I don't need this man. I do not need him in my life in any capacity. I don't care. Like I'm done with this guy. That's all I'm saying. So as far as that's concerned, that is that that is the takeaway. Kylo Ren, it's like Tom Brady is the Kylo Ren of the NFL football. Nobody's gonna remember anything we said about the NFC Championship game. They're just gonna remember that. I, I feel this is what I bring to the table. This is this is what I do. This is I, what this podcast I, brings you. I put I put a button in. I put a button on it. That that's really what we need to do. Now. That covers the Super Bowl, AFC Championship for three seconds because really no one cares. Um, NFC Championship, we, we've broken it down Zap Ruder style with slow motion replays and you know screen grabs and the whole bit. But there is one more element that I that I would like briefly discuss. All right. Because it is close to near and dear to my heart. The National Baseball Hall of Fame announced a new class. I do want to take a moment here at the tail end to discuss this because right. it is relevant. It is the it is part of the sports balls. It is kind of a thing that happens. So. The National Baseball Hall of Fame inducted three new members. 
four for real. But three. obviously you're discounting one. Three. Would you like to t- tell people why you're discounting? Mariano Rivera is not legitimate. Number one, I hate him because he's a New York Yankee. Number two, he is from Panama, but he is Benedicio Arnold. He is a traitor. He should have played for Team Panama. It wouldn't have made a difference, by the way. But I have another piece to add to this puzzle. Now, I say this partially tongue-in-cheek. I don't... I hate Aaron Rivera because he's a Yankee, but I, other than that, I really don't care. Um, but number one, 100%, that's BS. That's garbage. Like, oh, the first 100%. You, the whole argument for year with the writers thing, and I think the biggest difference is I believe, I read somewhere, that now the writers actually all have to be have their ballots public. So I think that's what got those cowards to not be able to hide behind it. But the whole premise is, okay... Mariano Rivera is the all-time saves leader. Okay, great. That's fine. So what? Lee Smith was the all-time saves leader for a while. Trevor Hoffman was the all-time saves leader for a while. We're not worrying about it that way. Oh, but he won five championships. Okay, cool. That's a team stat. He's the closer. Is it important for the closer? Do you, let's put it this way. If you have a bad closer, is this a problem for you? Yes. 100%. But is it hard to find a good closer or a decent closer or one that can be effective? K-Rod had 62 saves in a year. Let's talk about Eric Gagne. Let's talk about John Smaltz in the middle of a Hall of Fame career having, having arm surgery, ha- missing a year, and they say, well, we don't want you to stress your arm. So for three years, he became a dominant closer in the National League, got 187 saves, I think, and then went back to pitching full-time. That's a pitcher. The other thing is like, oh, well, Mariano is with one pitch because he's too stupid to learn a second pitch. This, I, I feel this would just be better if you just went off on this in Spanish. <laughs> there will be a time and a place for that. But for now, the important thing is, like, look, uh, when it comes to a closer, I don't have a problem with closers being in the Hall of Fame because, great. By the way, Dennis Eckersley was also a good starter at one point before he became a dominant closer. So, again, he was a good pitcher, period. Right. But I don't think the fact that you were never started should no, it does, no that's what I'm saying. being in the Hall of Fame. But that's what I'm saying, though. It should also be considered and factored in that in order to be a good uh, closer and to get a lot of saves, your team has to be good. The Yankees were consistently good well, you, for a you long have to time. Be in a position where you can save. Yeah, game. that's the thing. Like, if your team sucks and you're never winning by two runs or less, and you're in the in the late innings, how many saves are you going to get? It's true. It, it's it's it is partially a team stat. So, like, look, I'm fine with Mariano Rivera being in, no no issue. But it's like, come on now, hundred percent. That's kind of garbage. There have been more worthy hundred percent guys. There are about fifty Hall of that. Famers that I'll I can give you that, that should have been that well before Ken Griffey Jr. But can, can I tell the people the real reason why you're angry and upset about There's this? There's one more thing I'll add in that goes into the real reason that you're saying. Okay. By the way, the player in question that cost Team Panama the 2006 World Baseball Classic game against Cuba that they should have won. Ruben Rivera. Is the cousin of Mariano Rivera. So that whole family is traitors. They're garbage. All of them. <laughs> Burn to the ground. Burn to the ground. We're done. It's over. No. Uh, no, I actually want to talk about the other Hall of Famers. All right. All right. I needed to get the okay. Mariano Rivera right. thing out it's first. It's your system. Okay. Now, 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 now we can speak more positively. All right. Fair enough. I have nothing to add, by the way. <laughs> I feel like I've covered the, the breadth of the Mariano Rivera discussion. Well, you never mentioned that he never played for Team Panama. I did. Did that, you? The, towards okay. the beginning. That's why he was Benedicio Arnold. Well, I don't know if everyone will get that reference. Yeah. But, yeah. but the World Baseball Classics that Mario Rivera never played in because he was saving his arm for the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, make sure he, we are. Now, in, in full disclosure, he did visit the team, I think, for the 2009. I think he went in in uniform and hung out with them, basically, and did some training with them. But I was like, That's why garbage. don't you just play them? Why don't That's you just garbage. play? Go, go pitch a couple innings. Jackass. Anyway. After your stupid cousin cost them the one game. They've never won a game in the World Baseball Classic, just so we're clear. And by the way, in the very next game, that's when they got, um, I want to say, they lost to the Netherlands. They were no hit, 11-0. I think that's the first time they instituted the mercy rule. My pain will never end. I'm just shaking my head here. <laughs> my pain will never end. All right, the other three Hall of Famers. The other three Hall of Famers. So I'll, I'll do Halliday last because, right. uh, because I think that's uh, worthy of a bit of Mike Messina, I like it. Um, I think he's worthy. I think he was great in the American League East for years. Absolutely. Um, and his last season, I think he retired a year early because in 2008, he was a 20-game winner. 2009, they won the World Series. Like, that's the worst timing ever. Coming off a 20-win season, they would totally have brought you back. And the 2019 won the World Series. Yeah, that's true. So it's a shame for Mike Messina. But 270 wins in this era is 300 wins. Absolutely. Like, nobody's even coming close. Um, 
You, you just have to be too consistent. They're not getting enough. In a five-man rotation, they're not getting enough starts. They're not completing enough games. They're not getting enough games to get the decisions. You're just not going to see. Basically, if a guy hits 250, I'd at least look at him for the Hall of Fame. Unless his ERA is like six. It's like, unless it's something ridiculous. You have to really consider like winning 250 games in this era means you're pitching well for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's consistency. You've also got Edgar Martinez. Again, I don't have an issue. Um, when you think of a DH, he is, you know, I think the award now for DH is, is called the Edgar Martinez Award. So if you get an award named after you for a specific, you know, even though it's really niche, I think he was a good enough hitter um, over time. So, and he basically became a full-time DH because of injuries. So I'm not going to hold that against him. I, I'm not going to. Um... So you got Messina, you got Rivera, you got uh, Edgar Martinez, and then that leaves Roy Halladay voted in. Um, obviously, his death, you know, pushed it up. Probably wouldn't have been first ballot, but he certainly worthy. Uh, Absolutely. Cy Young in both leagues, you know, per- the perfect game in the no-hitter. Uh, did you hear about the, the cap thing, though, on the uh, plaque? How his wife said that he's probably not going to have a uh, cap, yes. No, the, 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 Hall, of Fame, the Hall of Fame has uh, confirmed that they're going to go with just basically a neutral or a blank. Okay. On the thing, based on they're going to honor the family's wishes on that one. Um, it's kind of a cop out. I'm not really going to give him too much of a hard time because look, at the end of the day, whatever, fine. But it's like you're you're 99 associated with one team. It's like, it's like the the time in the Phillies. I, I laugh though because there was a columnist in Philadelphia that says, "Oh, Roy Halladay would have wanted to be re- you know to be retired as a Philly. Sorry, not retired. Uh, to be in the Hall of Fame as a Philly." And he argued this like, "Oh well, he had all his playoff." experience with the Phillies. It's like, yeah, he won a couple of games in the playoffs and had a playoff no-hitter, no question, but they didn't win anything. That's like an NHL Hall of Famer. It's like, I want to be associated with this team. Why? Because we got to the playoffs and played in the first round. Like, so what? <laughs> Congratulations. No, I, I obviously wish he was going in as a Blue Jay. Uh, because there's not going to be another Blue Jay for a while. No, oh, and there's so many good memories associated with Roy Halley as a Blue Jay. Like, as a Blue Jays fan, right? The amount of times you we've watched him pitch as a Blue Jay and, and pitch dominantly, right? Those are some good memories. Yeah, that's fair. But that's that's the thing. Like, I think I think it's good, though. The Musina and Halliday thing, because of, uh, Halliday, because of injuries, he had to retire at just a little over 200 wins. I think it's good, though, because now the writers are starting to think, like, look, guys, 200 wins, injuries happen, stuff happens. The shame uh, is for Larry Walker, hopefully, is starting to move closer to because I think he's worthy. I hope so. Um, and that'd be great to see another Canadian board Fred McGriff there. missed out, which is a real shame. Uh, his problem, I think he played for too many teams. But 493 home runs. Like, he was good. Well, and yeah. here's the other thing. If he hits seven more home runs, he's in the Hall of Fame. I think so, but it's one of those things. It's weird because I think, I think it's a psychological barrier. Like, think about seven more home runs over the course of a 20-year career. Like... That seems kind of petty. Seems kind of silly. Another guy that I would like to see the Veterans Committee, one of the Veterans Committee, because there's a bunch of them now. One of the ones that I want to look at, I would really like them to relook at the Delgado case. Mm. Because uh, he he had to retire due to injury early. I ended up with, I think, 460 home runs. But the thing is, if you go look, his last full season, his last season, he had four home runs, but he but he basically played like 20 games. He was hurt. His last full season before that, he had 38 home runs. Yeah. And at 460, you're telling me he couldn't hit 20 home runs for two more seasons to get to 500? Like, he was still young enough that he still had some productive productive years if he could play. Yeah, but injuries forced him to retire. Yeah, and he was a dominant player, and he, he narrowly missed out on winning an MVP in one of the A-Rod years. And A-Rod, A-Rod was in all kinds of steroids, so it's like, come on, <laughs> you know. And that, that was just, it was bad timing uh, they were in. One thing I didn't know, did you know that Legato has a World Series ring? I did not. He was technically on the 93 team. Imagine the lu- imagine the kind of luck and bad luck at the same time. Yes, you yes. basically are like a you're a young player. You're basically a rookie. You played enough games, you get a ring, but then you spend the entire rest of your career and never get another snap. Is that back when he was still a catcher? Yes. So it's like you never through your dominance, through your best years, you never even come close ever again. Oh and Halliday just missed that window as well uh, because he was a couple of years later. Um, but that's the reason why I'm. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more Jays at some point. But the thing is, that's the reason why I'm like people are talking like Boba Shed and Vladdy Jr. It's like guys, we had Sean Green and Carlos Delgado. They were good. They were real good, and they and they were good for a while. 
Um, and it didn't matter. Yeah. And we had Roy Halladay for a while. It didn't matter. A couple of good pieces here and there aren't going to make up for the fact the team is no good. And um, did you hear about uh, Marco Estrada? About him leaving the Blue Jays, you mean? Yeah. So he signed with the A's, but he signed with the A's for one year, four million. Which is like, okay, you can't bring him back for four million? Yeah. That's what you're paying Aaron Sanchez. Now, Aaron Sanchez has a higher ceiling. He has a potential to be, but for one year, four million? Bring him back. He'll eat some innings. Like, <laughs> there's nothing to lose there. So last point I'll make on the Hall of Fame real quick. Bring it back to that. There were the other the other guys as well. Lee Smith, uh, I believe, is in the Hall of Fame based on one of the veteran committees. Which, going back to your point, I approve of. Not one because he used to be the the saves leader. Yeah. But second, I have a Lee Smith autograph. So now I have a Hall of Fame Lee Smith autograph. Well, if you had if you had been if you had properly thought ahead, you could have had another Hall of Fame autograph of another all time great and someone, quite frankly, that is more worthy of a hundred percent than say Mariano Rivera, Harold Baines. That's a conversation for another, another show right there. Right? The if Hall, if Harold Baines is a Hall of Famer, then how many other guys should be Hall of Famers, right? Like, On a related note, for the 2019 class, I accept in advance my place in the Hall of Fame. I I in 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 video game in MLB the Show, I hit more than 900 home runs in MLB the Show. So I look this is forward. This as you as being created as a player. As correct? yes, uh, yeah. Carlos Alcazar, the digital video game player, hit comfortably over 900 home runs, and he did so in 11 seasons. Hey. That's dominance. That's real dominance. <laughs> That's 112%. Fair enough. Fair it's like enough. first ballot and a half. There you go. So I think that's it. I think, uh, I, think, I think we've droned on for long enough. But I think between those two things, I'm quite satisfied with it. So we'll see. Um, it's kind of a pilot episode. We'll see, we'll see basically if we, uh, if we have the, the will left in our lives after freezing for a couple of, for a couple of more weeks to see if we can uh, put together another one. All right. So Mr. Chermel, our... Have have we exercised some of your demons, or will you will you hold years of bitterness? Just saying, it's completely normal to hold the bitterness inside of you forever and let it slowly rot away at your soul. Well, you asked me an either or question, yes. so the answer is yes. <laughs> there you go. Thanks very much. We'll we may or may not see you next time.